Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, no one can forget the images coming out of Kabul as the Taliban officially retook Afghanistan one year ago. People rushing the airport, babies being given to American soldiers over fences, everyone hoping for a chance to get out. But a year ago today, the Taliban began its official takeover of the country, one province at a time. And one year out, the question beyond the headlines is, what's the status of the country today? What about food security? What about women's rights? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, it has been one year uh, since that uh, pullout and the Taliban officially taking over once again. And so we wanted to get beyond just the headlines of all of this. And so we turned to Adam Fife, the chairman of the board of Sencor, a company that provides support to the intelligence community. And uh, Adam, as you look at this one year later, uh, give us some some high level thoughts first, then we'll dig into some of the details. Yeah, that's uh, the high level thoughts. Really, are um, one the ramifications of, of that decision and the way that the drawdown took place uh, continue to be far reaching uh, for the U.S. and its foreign policy, not just in Afghanistan but uh, kind of all over the world. And two, uh, the fall was rapid, obviously, but I think what has surprised some that have kind of observed from the outside is that the Taliban uh, actually has some staying power and uh, that they've uh, perhaps we don't agree with their policies, but they've, they, they, they've managed to run a country for a year mm. and uh, are, are kind of muddling their way through it. Uh, and unfortunately with the way we exited, we kind of lost a number of opportunities to, to position ourselves better uh, as a nation uh, in that region. From a from a stay behind position. Yeah, and let's talk about those uh, those missed opportunities because again, it is a, a very volatile region of the world, an important region to be sure. Uh, what are some of the things that you've noted in terms of kind of those missed opportunities for those of us here in America? So, th- there's no replacing uh, the benefit that comes from uh, not just an intelligence collection perspective, but just as far as reach and staying power and the ability to influence uh, foreign policy objectives than actually having presence uh, in the region, in the area. And uh, our withdrawal from Afghanistan didn't just affect Afghanistan, but it had, uh, you know, it affected our positions in Pakistan, the issues we have in Iran, and even to a certain extent, China, uh, and and our ability to kind of influence uh, events there uh, has really been diminished. Yeah, and so let's let's break it down a little bit inside of Afghanistan. Give us a, a sense uh, first of the uh, the economy there. Um, the economy is basically non-existent. Uh, there is uh, there, there's some agriculture. Uh, it's important to keep in mind that even while the U.S. was there, the driving force for most illicit economic activity, which was what 
funded everything outside of the aid dollars that flew in uh, from the U- that came in from the U.S. and the international community uh, was the poppy uh, crop, which is the opium trade. And the Taliban has very effectively shut that down. And what that's led to is uh, international aid has been frozen. There, is, there are still some dollars going in. Uh, and their inability to, for the farmers to sell that poppy crop uh, internationally has really uh, – they were a poor country to begin with, even with our aid. They are now uh, – they're at levels of destitution that haven't been seen really since the late 80s and early 90s when the, when the USSR pulled out and uh, the Civil War began. Yeah, and so as as we look at that component of it, uh, I've talked to a, a number of sources uh, talking about uh, not just the economic uh, condition, but just the bottom line uh, food problem, food and water, uh, especially rolling uh, into the back half of this year. Uh, what are we hearing from uh, aid workers and aid organizations uh, in terms of uh, are we are we into famine space? What what are we looking at in the months ahead? Yeah, it's uh, it's not quite famine space, but I think what a lot of people need to understand is that Afghanistan, just from a, a development standpoint, roads, railroads, what you need to, to disperse and distribute aid, it, it's not well developed even after 20 years of, of a U.S. presence there. And so what you're seeing is, is that the, the major, quote-unquote, metropolitan areas of Afghanistan, so Kabul, Masri Sharif in the north, and you know, the large countries in the southeast and west, there's five. Aid is getting in there, and so some food is getting in, and, and food aid is okay, and water is okay. But in the rural regions of Afghanistan, which is where the majority of the population actually resides, mm-hmm. uh, it is they're not getting the, the aid that they need to, to really uh, live a sustainable life. Yeah. Uh, and then now let's shift to the uh, to the human rights component, especially uh, the state of women in Afghanistan. Uh, how has that held promises made versus promises kept? And what does the future look like? That's a great question. And I think I'll answer it just in two parts. Uh, first, we need to understand that the Taliban as an organization is not a cohesive, unified unit in how they decide to apply policy. Mm. So you've got an old guard within the Taliban that still remains very much along the lines of, of what we remember and how we, you know, I think the West generally associates the Taliban, which is, you know, no education for girls past eighth grade. They need to be fully veiled. Uh, they can't work. They can't drive. And, and really, they, sh- they should have no rights as adults. Um, but you've got and, – and so that that has prevailed to this point. There's There's been a real limiting – uh, several things that they've done from an education and work perspective. But there's also a new guard within the Taliban that recognizes they can't roll the clock back and that, and that even after 20 years of uh, a relative freedom for women, there's just certain things they can't change. And so what you're seeing on the ground is a they speak one thing, but in actuality there is far more flexibility under the current Taliban uh, regime than there was in the 90s. And so it, it's not as bad as I think a lot of us thought it was going to be, but it's nowhere near the level it was uh, while the U.S. and uh, our allies were, were there on the ground. Yeah, it makes such a such a difference, uh, to be sure. Uh, as you as you look at it moving forward, uh, Adam, what what are the things that we're not talking about as it relates uh, both to Afghanistan and this region of the world in general, uh, that uh, obviously in the midst of uh, of Russia and Ukraine, China and Taiwan, 
uh, and a host of other things uh, that seem to be getting pushed uh, to the side or to the back burner, at least, as it relates to this area of the world? Um, I think the 20-year postmortem on this will be fascinating. Uh, really, what were the trickle-down effects uh, for U.S. foreign policy outside of Afghanistan with that uh, hectic and uh, really unplanned and, and unfortunate withdrawal, the, the way it went down? And how did our geopolitical foes decide to interpret that? You know, Russia, Ukraine, Iran, because we, we went from a lot of saber rattling to, to action. I think what we're seeing is that, is that uh, uh, we've been weakened internationally from a foreign policy perspective. And uh, I think the ramifications of that will be felt for, for several decades to come. Yeah, such an important. Great insight, as always. Adam Fife is the chairman of the board of Sencor, a company that provides support to the intelligence community. Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. Yep, thanks for having me. Uh, some important perspective there. One year out, uh, hard to believe. And I think it's interesting that, uh, as Adam pointed out, uh, maybe things aren't as horrible as some thought it would be. Uh, it's still so much worse than what it was like with America presence and allied presence in that region, uh, in particular as it relates uh, to food, to the economy, and to human rights, in particular women's rights. Uh, And those are all things that we have to continue to look at. I also thought it was interesting that Adam pointed out uh, that the way the withdrawal happened one year ago also impacted the confidence that other nations have in the United States as a partner uh, that was an important hit. Uh, Adam also pointed out there were a number of opportunities missed to strengthen freedom and human rights, uh, not just in that region of the world, but all around the world. And as you know, I hate waste, and there's nothing greater than the waste of an opportunity to fuel freedom. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.